comedy solves a lot of the problems that we have in communicating climate change because with comedy you have to be incredibly succinct you also have to see things from other people's points of view and then you have to be able to surprise people you're listening to hope act thrive by be the future an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation who want to nurture heroic leaders for environmental change just like you we want to create a better greener fairer future for the kids in our life Hi, I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast, alongside the brilliant Helen Hill. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Matt Winning, a Senior Research Fellow in the Institute for Sustainable Resources at University College London, working on climate policy, including the Lancet Countdown on Health and Climate Change. Matt is also a stand-up comedian who performs live climate change comedy at festivals and comedy clubs around the UK and regularly appears on BBC Radio 4. He also has a TEDx talk about the importance of using humour to discuss climate change. His debut book, Hot Mess, What on Earth Can We Do About Climate Change, is out now and available in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. In this conversation, we'll talk about climate change comedy, the power of humour to tackle the climate crisis, and bringing children into a changing climate. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hi, lovely to be here. And by here, I mean, I'm in my house, but nice to be chatting (laughs) with you both. Fabulous to have you. Yes, we've both read your book and loved it. So very excited to have you on today. And I guess, Matt, you have a fascinating way of combining your two worlds of climate change comedy and environmental economics. Can you talk us through these two sides of your personality and how you combine them? Yeah, I'm a I'm a very weird person in the sense that I I think about climate change and talk about climate change pretty much all the time. I used to have a hobby, which was doing comedy. And then over a period of time, that hobby slowly turned into doing comedy about climate change. And now I have a job, which is researching climate change, and then a, a sort of another job, which is telling jokes about climate change. Telling jokes about climate change, you're still thinking about climate change a lot, but hopefully it's a good way of communicating. You know, I find it's a good way of communicating to people and also uh, it gets me out of the house, which is always nice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's something we'd all like, isn't it? The escape of getting out of the house. And I must admit, I'd never heard of climate comedy before until I read your book. And it's niche. It's niche. I like that. It's niche. <laughs> you, yeah, you're not the you're not the first person to go. That's a strange combination. Why would you do comedy about climate change, or what even is that? It is a weird one. And and the the difficulty here is other people will be listening to this and being like having the exact same thought and it's very difficult unless they either like come to a show or read the book once people experience it i think they kind of go okay right i get what this is and i get why this is is a positive thing to do because otherwise it can be seen as sort of like yeah a bit of a juxtaposition and also are you just sort of making fun of something that's incredibly serious but comedy is used to talk about serious subjects an awful lot and is actually a good way of doing that 
I get a lot of questions. Let's just say that. I get a lot of questions when yeah. people say, what do you do? And I say, uh, I'm a climate change researcher and a comedian. And people go, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting you to say you were an accountant or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that comes from it being two totally, totally different worlds, aren't they? It might be on the same thing, but like you say, you've got your serious, serious science side. But that must make it quite light-hearted then to talk about it in a different way at night. And, I mean, it's a really in intriguing concept. So how do you make this, you know, frankly terrifying topic funny? With great difficulty. So it took me a little while to be able to do comedy about climate change. And, and it requires me taking almost a step back from the way I normally see it which is this sort of heavy going, often from my perspective, I guess, quite scientific, quite, uh, you know, there's a lot of jargon and stuff. And actually comedy solves a lot of the problems that we have in communicating climate change because with comedy you have to be incredibly succinct and then you also have to see things from other people's points of view or have shared experiences about stuff. And then you have to be able to surprise people. Before I even really tried to talk about climate change, I'd already done comedy for eight, eight years and I'd been working on climate change for probably about nine years by that time. And I had a way of writing comedy and writing jokes. And when it came to writing a show that I did about climate change, I had to sort of, sort of reverse engineer it, which was basically just write a lecture and then make that lecture funny. So it was a lot of trial and error. And since then, it's been a bit of a sort of a revelation that actually this is a really good way to reach new audiences yeah what you're saying makes a lot of sense Matt especially reaching people who perhaps aren't already thinking about this in a big way and I guess so how do your audiences react to your climate change comedy the main thing that I've kind of got is feedback so far as people going oh I really enjoyed that and I felt like I learned something and I realized that the main thing was people enjoying themselves people wanted to hear about it you know there was an there was an interest there was a you know a demand for for somebody talking about this in a different way and for them to have a space to to come and listen to that you know you would get people in the crowd <laughs> whatever coming in being like yeah i don't see how you're going to make this funny or whatever you know people that have got high opinions of themselves or just loud voices uh, but you, you know, you could tell, and I could tell that I was sort of winning people over or converting people to be like, oh, actually, this is really good. I didn't expect to like this, and I enjoyed myself, and I, you know, and and I felt like it was uh, educational at the same time. So I've got to ask, what's been your toughest crowd with all these? Have you had any moments where you've just really thought, oh, this just, you know, this this group is is not working with them? No, not really. I mean, sometimes you get kind of slightly boring crowds, but that kind of happens with comedy anyway. To be honest, I've not had any worse crowds than I had doing shows that weren't about climate change. I'd say on the whole they've been better because at least if you're not, you know, if they don't find you funny or they're not up for it that day, at least they're learning something, you know, at least they're probably paying attention. Whereas I've done comedy shows where you're not talking about anything serious. You're trying to make everybody laugh and they're not laughing. That's a lot worse. Way, way, way worse. I mean, I did a show the year 2016 where an ex-girlfriend sat in the audience and there was about, I don't know, 10 people in the audience and no one was laughing. And it was the most horrific thing I've ever experienced. I've not actually had that 
since I started talking about climate change. The bits where you're testing up the shows, where you're working it out, those I think are trickier than maybe other comedians have. Because other comedians, you know, you can just sort of write loads of material and then you'll work through it and you'll be like, oh, that doesn't work, move on. But I'm very much committed to doing a lecture. <laughs> so this is this is going to keep happening. You know, we're going to be here for a while and there's going to be more stuff about this uh, and not all of it's going to work. So sometimes that's a bit tricky and, and it certainly was the first few times that I that I did it. So what power do you think there is in using the humour in a topic like the climate crisis then? Because this is something that we we really want to do more of. And I'm glad you've said about writing your lecture and then making it funny, because this is something me and Sally have discussed of <laughs> Sally writing some posts and me adding the sarcasm, because that's the bit I'm good at. <laughs> well, you guys sound like you could be a very good double act. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. need, you need one upbeat, cheery and one full of sarcasm. Yeah, so the benefits of using comedy to talk about it are, I think, really big. First of all, the starting point is we need to find other ways to talk about climate change and to find other ways to reach new people that should and, and will care about it, um, but they're not going to necessarily care if they feel like they're being you know, lectured at or they feel like it's someone that, that they wouldn't normally listen to. You know, people listen tend to listen to you know, their friends and family first and foremost. Those are the people we listen to the most. And then people also, you know, consume media. But hopefully what we can do is reach those people and then they will then come out and find climate change podcasts or realise that it is something that they should be interested in and find find more about and, and be more involved in. And I think that's slowly happening. And comedy about climate change is a really good way of bringing the me the messenger down to a sort of their level if you can be quite self-deprecating it's a really good way of putting people at ease you know it's just a good communication technique already it also really holds people's attention if they're enjoying themselves if they're laughing it stimulates parts of the brain that uh, associate learning in a positive way and it makes them remember things better so there's all of that and they're much more likely to continue paying attention to things because the signals in their brain from enjoying themselves are there. Plus, nobody wants to not get a joke in a room. If everyone else is laughing, you want to be part of that. So there's a sort of social cohesion thing there as well that's happening. So all of these things are a positive environment for learning. So that's one side of it. I think the other side of it is that it's a really good coping mechanism. So joking or making light of things that sit with us in a difficult way, you know, we don't like to sit and stew and think about horrible thoughts, but if it's someone's joking about it or if we're joking about it, then it's a lot easier to sort of deal with those things and, and bring it up and share it with other people. So it's kind of like a coping mechanism as well. And I'm not saying that, you know, this is the only way we should talk about climate change far, 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 far from it. But it can hopefully bring new people to the table and hopefully it can get information across to those people in a way that they otherwise would sort of reject potentially. And it's a way of sort of yeah, bringing us together a bit more. Yeah, I think it's it's a good gateway, shall we say. You know, and I've had people sort of say that they've, you know, changed their behaviour or become more engaged or whatever after coming to see 
shows of mine, which is really positive. And, you know, I'm not sort of expecting to change everybody's mind or whatever. But if a few people start to, you know, do things they might have already thought about or they might have already been sort of slightly predisposed, but if it kind of tips them over the edge and they go, OK, now I'm going to join the, an environmental group after it or they've not gone you know their family didn't fly that year on holiday or that someone said they sold their car after coming to one of my shows you know lots of people have changed their electricity providers things like that that are incredibly positive i think that's it for me one of the best things and also just yeah keeping people engaged making people feel informed about it as well that's incredibly positive to hear, Matt. And I think, you know, there is just so much power in using humour as one of the tools of getting more and more people on board and getting more action happening. So well done for, you know, really driving this space forward. And I guess you talk of there being two main questions that you get asked about climate change. First of these is, are we screwed? What's your response to that? I guess as an environmental economist, as a climate change comedian, you know, how do you answer that? The question, are we screwed, is one that I get often. I'm sure you guys are asked that as well by people who just kind of, they want more information. They want to feel reassured, potentially. It's a very difficult question to answer. My response to that is always to kind of slightly turn it around on people <laughs> because people want me to either say, yes, we're screwed. And in that case, they want to be able to give up, do nothing, basically. They want to be like, oh, well, it's too late, that's fine, I don't need to do anything. Or they want me to say, no, we're not screwed, in which case they feel like, oh, that's fine then, someone else is sorting it out, I don't need to do anything. So I feel like the question is some people wanting me to tell them, regardless of what the answer is, <laughs> that whatever they're doing is fine. That feels like what I'm being asked. So my, what I would tell people is that we are neither screwed nor are we not screwed. We aren't yet screwed, but we might be screwed. But it very much depends upon what they do. And by them, I mean everybody. And that's not to put the onus necessarily on us as individuals, but it's to put the onus on everybody and the planet you know what everybody does and to different degrees different people matter quite clearly but how engaged you as an individual are on the issue will help tip the scales in some direction because it's not a binary we're screwed or we're not screwed the small amount that you do as an individual and and can then influence other people to do and and they will influence other people and things you know spread in non-linear ways all of that's incredibly positive and all of that stops some level of suffering going forward so everything matters every single thing matters and that is difficult because then we need to let ourselves off the hook when we do slip or when we do you know stop engaging or whatever that's fine you, you don't not everybody's perfect um, and you can't beat yourself up and you shouldn't feel guilty about stuff but at the same time it requires commitment to to bring about the change that you want to see in the world and we don't have a huge amount of time to bring about that change 
So, yeah, I would always say to people as well, you know, if you do have things that you do, you know, but whether that is activism, whether it's um, things in your community, whether it's individual actions that you take, if you just stop doing it for a while, you can always start doing it again. It's not, you know, it's like people that um, quit smoke, you know, or, or quit smoking and then, act, you know, you have one cigarette. It's not, you can just, that's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Go back to not, you know, not smoking, continue in that vein. Um, you know, mm. we all sort of struggle with that as individuals, I think. Yeah, sure. And I mean, that leads on to, I believe, the second common question you get asked is, what can I do about it? And again, that's, it's people wanting kind of an answer, isn't it? And permission of, well, do this thing and things will be okay. But what's your response when they ask you about that? Yeah, so that's the other question I get asked a lot. And I sort of top and tailed the book. Uh, with those two questions, are we screwed and what can I do about it? People do want to know what they can do about it. I think that's the other thing. So there is a positivity there. There is a determination and there is some level of hope, but people often want quite simple answers. They want to be told, you know, just do this one thing, just put on this one pair of socks every day and the world will be fine. And... (laughs) The truth is that it's a lot more complicated than that. And what we can do as individuals is almost a journey that we all have to go on as individuals to work out what it is that we are best at and where we are positioned best to help and given our set of circumstances. And for some of us, that's small things. Some of us, it's, you know, changing our diets changing how we travel or whatever there are some things that we as individuals can do then again i'd always qualify that as saying for some individuals that matters a lot more than others wealthier individuals you know so wealthier individuals have more responsibility because is the thing that you're doing the consumption that you're undertaking is it a luxury or is it a necessity you know because if you talk about oh well we should all go vegan well Families that are just getting by buying cheap food, I don't think it's anybody's place to tell anybody how to survive and to provide basics for their family day to day. But if you're, you know, consuming a big heavy meat diet and you're a wealthy individual who just enjoys stuff and you're doing it, you do have some responsibility there. You have to be aware of your influence and your position in the world. I think, and actually kind of look yourself in the mirror a bit. And that We do have some responsibility as high consumers in certain Western countries that we, you know, can influence our diets, our travel, and I guess to some extent some things like our consumption, you know, definitely our consumption of, of goods and, and stuff like that. But there's lots of stuff we can't do, even more stuff we can't do anything about as individuals, and that requires other changes. You know, that requires changes in what we do with our money requires with changes at a societal level that we can influence through activism or through political participation or through community groups or through lots of other things. And we also have another role, which is how our sphere of influence, you know, is important. So I try and talk about that a little bit in the book as well, how just by going out and talking about climate change I've had an influence on lots of people who will then have an influence on other people. And I've sort of tried to keep track a little bit of some of that and the sorts of changes that 
will have been made. So we are not just individuals. You're not just your own carbon footprint. You are able to influence other people. Now, that's not to say you should tell other people what to do, but you should talk about the things that you do and why you think they're good things and uh, try to have a positive influence on people. What you're saying does resonate a lot. And I think when you were talking about finding your own journey through it too, you know, we really talk about finding your climate agency and finding that space where you've got skills and you've got passion and there's a need. And I guess there's basically a need in every aspect of society. And, you know, it will look so different for different people, how they get involved and where they can really make an impact. And I think it can feel so overwhelming to think that you need to get involved in all these different aspects but i think you can make a real impact if you're really finding your path through and and where you really feel like there's possible change to be made too agree completely completely with that sentiment that you said like it's it's just about yeah everybody finding something that whether it's something that you are good at or you ideally you enjoy as well and trying to combine that with you know where do we need more action where do we need an intervention where can you be more specific because yeah, there's so many sectors across the world that need changing and jobs that need changing. Everybody, Every single person's job on the planet already is related to climate change. And every person's individual lives are already related to climate change. And so it's just about kind of realising that, you know, going on a journey to realise that. And, and yeah, you could make changes that make you more involved if you wanted to. But you could also continue in the position that you have, the job that you have or whatever it is, the role that you have. And just try and be more focused on how to make that positive. Exactly. 100% agree. And I think that also makes you feel like there is more potential and more power and more possibility to change when you realise that it actually can happen through any aspect of life, basically. And I guess something, Matt, that really resonated with me as a parent is, you know, with your book, you interweave this whole exploration of climate change with your journey into becoming a parent as well and you know you do put that question out there at the start of the book should we bring a child into the world for others for our child for us and this is such a tricky topic to talk about to broach I feel can you talk us through your perspective on this yeah absolutely and I'm as my you know my perspective so is absolutely not uh a definitive answer or anything like that you know i think again everybody has to have their own journey and their own view and i would never tell anyone else what to do or that their decisions are right or wrong you know it's a personal thing for everybody you know and it's something that i've thought about you know i've always wanted to become a parent and always thought that i would and then obviously with working on climate change and doing comedy to some extent because you become incredibly selfish when you're a comedian thinking about yourself all the time. Both of those careers are terrible at preparing you for wanting to become a parent. So I basically spent you know the best part of a decade doing my best to put myself off becoming a parent. But from a climate change perspective, you know, first of all, should you bring a child into the world because of the impact that the child will have on the future of human existence well you know it's, a, it's one child it's not going to make a massive difference and what we need to do how we solve climate change is decarbonization and reducing overconsumption regardless of how many children there are or how many other things those are those are the things that need to be done 
is we need to decarbonize our, our economies rapidly over the next few decades. And to do that, we need to change the way we produce things. And we also need to produce less of things or do things differently. And, that, and that's it. It really just boils down to that. So I guess I would change the contribution that children have rather than not having them. I think it's more of a positive message. The other thing that I say in the book is that it feels weird that apparently the best thing you can do for your child's future is to not have that child. It doesn't logically make sense to me. Otherwise, why are you do? Why are we doing any of this? Um, it, we're doing this because, and I am. I work in this area because I care about humans and people. And if that then becomes that we shouldn't have humans and people, I don't see the point in any of this. So there's that angle, and also, you know, you know, t- you know, children thinking about having children, and you know, the ideas of that people put out there on overpopulation and other things, a lot of them have um, quite horrible backgrounds, um, in my opinion. Um, and it's a lot of it's, you know, telling women what to do with their bodies, which I d- completely disagree with. And climate change is one issue, you know, along with lots of other issues. It doesn't kind of trump other issues just because, you you know, you care about it more or whatever. Um so, you know, you know, having a child is a human right, whereas you know, buying an, uh, an electric Tesla isn't a human right. Um, they're not the same thing. You know, consuming things aren't the same as having children. Um, and also, we need to do all of this now. You know, we need to reduce our emissions basically in half in the next 10 years. My son's not going to be in high school before then. The timescales don't really work on this, if you know what I mean. We need to do all of this before my son is even my age. We need to have solved this problem. So, And we're solving it for the next generation. So I, I, I just, for me, there's that side of things. There's also the question, should we be bringing in a child into the world given what we don't know how, you know, what the future is going to be? Or, you know, some people think the future is, gonna, is definitely going to be awful, which it isn't, nothing's certain you know that certainty isn't there again it's not binary the world isn't sort of awful or fine and there are already people dealing with very difficult things and things related to climate change now you know today and people are are getting by and are not getting by at times and you know and having to deal with that and so i feel like it's slightly privileged position to be able to even consider these things or think about these things now People have always had children through other things, you know. I have just had a child during a pandemic, which I, you know, would I have chosen to have had a child at that exact time? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but also, you know, if it had been the choice of having him or not, then I would 100% still have, still have gone through with it. And, you know, people have had children through world wars and other things the human race doesn't you know stop um it keeps going and we find um life in different things and so maybe i'm just uh an an optimist in that sense but i feel like it's uh yeah more hopeful and more uh yeah bringing more love into the world seems like 
a good, a better reaction uh, than... That, yeah, that, that's a lovely point, actually. And I must admit, there's there's a few things that are food for thought there. I mean, I, I don't have children, and it's not that we haven't had them because of the climate. I feel like I'm still a child myself at the moment. <laughs> but and it's just not happened. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting point you make about the fact that, well, why are we even doing this? If you don't, then bring the children into the world. And that's, yeah, that, that certainly made me think, actually. And, you know, as, a, as an auntie to a very hyper intelligent <laughs> six-year-old, you know, you certainly nice. want to protect the world for him as well. And I expect he could be a scientist one day. Um, but yeah, just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, he loves certainly the planets and things, maybe a physicist. But yeah, so just as one of our final questions, what gives you hope about the future? What gives me hope? It's a good question. Doing things gives me hope and seeing other people doing things gives me hope. I'm not sure how useful hope is. I mean, I've seen a lot of other people write about this far more eloquently than I ever could. In some ways, hope is a good thing in that we feel like we've got something to strive for or something that we're inspired by. But I think hope can also be a bad thing in the sense that, you know, a lot of people say, you know, what gives them hope about climate? The climate crisis has been, you know, seeing children... Um, responding to it or you know the school strikes but I shouldn't be the case you know and I think that a lot of those kids have made this point themselves but I think it's absolutely worth making again and again if you're an adult and you're sitting there going what gives me hope is kids doing something to solve their own future have a look at yourself because that really is the backwards you know it's the wrong way around and it you should be giving children hope. We should all be giving children hope. So acting, I think, I'm not really interested in things giving me hope. I am interested in inspiring hope in other people that need it. Mostly people that are younger than I am. I'm interested in inspiring action and a sense of purpose and positivity in everyone else. I love how you've answered that all about action and I think you know we often think about this in terms of active hope that you know you're making change and you're doing things and you're creating that future. The thing that actually really resonated with me there was you saying about inspiring hope in others rather than taking hope from others that absolutely hits the nail on the head for me actually. I think that has to be the way it is isn't it because I get hope from inspiring other people and from mm. seeing other people being driven and other people doing things. I think that's a brilliant note to end on, Matt, inspiring others. Thank you so much for inspiring us today. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We really hope this episode inspired you. If it did, please review, subscribe and share this episode with a curious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. Oh, and check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our guest. And come say hi to us on Instagram over at bethefuture.earth, where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety into playful action. Let's hope, act and thrive.